It's time to turn out the lights, grab some popcorn, and watch some horrible horror movies. This is the Terrible Terror Podcast. In each episode, I delve in the world of terrible horror movies. Why do I do it? Can't really explain it. But I love these horrible movies. If you've made a horror movie on your phone or made your own special effects MacGyver style, please send it my way. Now, what do you get when you title your movie to take place in somewhere when the majority of the movie takes place on a goddamn boat? Why, you get Friday the 13th, Part 8, Jason Takes Manhattan. It's like this. We live in claustrophobia. A land of steel and concrete. Trapped by dark waters. There is no escape. Nor do we want it. We've come to thrive on it. And each other. You can't get the adrenaline pumping without the terror, good people. I love this town. Welcome to another episode of the Terrible Terror Podcast. Uh, this week we are starting our little Jason theme that I decided that uh, I should have done at the beginning of the month, but instead you're getting it this episode. So you can get, just like with Nightmare on Elm Street, two episodes of Friday the 13th, the classic slasher series from the 80s that somehow made its way into the late 90s. Uh, well, or mid-90s, I guess you could say, with the last one being, well, of the main series being Jason X. And I don't really count the reboot as part of the main series, since it's a reboot. Alright, so everybody kind of knows the story of Jason Voorhees in the Friday the 13th series. But just in case you're kind of new to the situation, uh, it all started with Friday the 13th, where... A bunch of camp counselors came around, and this is after Halloween, and this is after, well, around the same time as the Nightmare on Elm Street series. See, we went back in, in the 80s, we started going from the perspective of the killer, focusing kind of on the gore effects of somebody being killed, uh, rather than just, you know, looking at it from afar. I mean, there were always gory movies, there's always been different things that have kind of gone on. Even a movie like Deathbed, The Bed That Eats. You know, for the time, that was pretty outlandish for some of the stuff that you did get to see. And there were definitely those, you know, trailer park type of movies, uh, or we, we call them grindhouse flicks of the 70s, uh, that you would see, where its only purpose is really to have a lot of gratuitous violence and a lot of gratuitous nudity. But you never really kind of got it from the killer's perspective. And that was kind of changed all with Halloween. And, you know, the Friday the 13th series doesn't stray from some of that formula. But we kind of get more into the realm of the unstoppable killing machine when we think of Jason Voorhees. I mean, we kind of get it with, uh, you know, Freddy Krueger and the Nightmare on Elm Street series. But it's really, for me, I know, and I know a lot of people say Michael Myers is kind of the epitome of that. But I still think of him as a man. He's just maybe super-powered. 
but I really consider Jason to be that mythical type of creature. The undying that really no matter what you do to him, he's going to keep coming back and he's going to keep beating the shit out of you no matter how many times you beat the shit out of him. And that's what we got in the very first Friday the 13th. But the twist, and I'm spoiling this for people who have never seen it out there, and please go and see it and skip the next minute and a half or so while I talk about this. But the biggest twist that happened was that it was Jason's mom. Uh, It wasn't really Jason, though there was an added sequence to the end of the film because people felt that the way that the film ended originally in test audiences wasn't quite what they wanted to see, so they added some extra scenes towards the end of that. I would have been happy where it ended, but of course, you know, that's my opinion, and not everybody that sees these films is like that. In the second installment of the series is kind of where we got Jason as we know Jason. Uh, Since his mother was dead at the end of the first film, we had to rely on some type of other force to come on and take over the role of what she was doing. Now, from that point, a lot of people say the quality of the films went downhill. And for the most part, they're right. I mean, you have plenty of films in the Friday the 13th canon. Uh, anywhere from psychics fighting Jason to... Uh, is it actually this person that maybe is acting as Jason himself? Instead of our supernatural killer? Uh, it just kind of goes all over the place. And it's... It's a weird series because it's very entertaining, uh, especially in the beginning uh, parts, I'd say up to maybe part four, where I think that's kind of where they start going downhill in terms of quality of story as well as quality of the deaths in the film. Because how else can you face it? Friday the 13th movies, Nightmare on Elm Street, it's all about how did they kill these people? What did they do? And Jason's always been the more brutal compared to Freddy Krueger, where he was the more creative out of all of the killers out there. And, you know, it's still not quite my cup of tea for the, the series. Um, well, or, or I should say for the killers uh, in the 80s. But, you know, the two staples for me were always Jason Voorhees or Freddy Krueger. I prefer Freddy, to be completely honest with you. Because he's more charismatic. Uh, There's something about the way that he acts and the way that Robert England portrays the character that really resonates with me uh, in terms of entertainment in those films. It's not just about, you know, the kills. And it really kind of went away from that, too, as the series moved on. It went more into Freddy, honestly. And how entertaining and how his puns are when he's doing the the, the kills that happen. Whereas with Jason, you know, it started as really brutal, violent kills. And the fact that he cannot be stopped and how are you going to stop him by the end of the film. To kind of lame kills. To stuff that was interesting. But to keep their rating, you know, they had to do things that were... Maybe you get a good kill every two or three kills. Like, he kills a ton of people, especially in here in Part 8. He kills a lot of people. But a lot of it is just bad and cheesy. I mean, I get some of them. So there's a couple really good ones in the film. uh, And we'll discuss that that in largely. But 
it's kind of from here that it kind of went this way, but then it went and it backed back up, uh, or she ramped back up the the kill factor actually in Jason Ten, which was our last uh, Friday the Thirteenth feature. So uh, this is one of those weird situations where. It's continuing the legend of Jason Voorhees, but it's not really tied to each other. Other than the area and kind of, well, I use this term loosely, going into New York. You'll kind of understand what I mean if you haven't seen the film, but I definitely think that you should take a look at this film. Maybe not as a standalone movie, don't maybe watch the whole thing, but find somebody else's review, like a video review. And I highly recommend watching Cinemassacre's Monster Madness for their 80s slasher thon It is very in-depth with a lot of different films. And uh, James Rolfe, who does it, does a really good piece on every single Friday the 13th movie. Including Jason X, I believe. Uh, but it's definitely worth it if you want a nice recap of all the films before you kind of headlong into anything else like big or if you want to catch up to a certain point to kind of know where you are but really jason takes manhattan you could just watch it as a standalone film because nobody's really connected to any other parts of the storyline it's just seniors that are somehow outside of you know camp crystal lake uh where jason was you know ultimately killed i don't know how many fucking times but always seems to be killed in the same area always seems to be resurrecting somewhere near and attacking the different teenagers there i also know that there is a big uh you know allegory with jason in general for being the um i don't want to say like angel of death but it's kind of close uh but more or less punisher of of your sins because he really only goes after those that have engaged in premarital sex that do drugs that do something uh that is inherently you know a sin if you believe in that stuff and he really this is one of the few films where i don't know why he's trying to go after him i mean it's kind of revealed in the end and i'm not going to jump that far ahead right now but you know it's weird he did the people that he kills in the beginning they're all somehow except for maybe a couple of them they're all doing something horrible in some way shape or form and they all have to pay for it and, uh, you know, again, this it'll be another thing I talk about with another film, which you'll find out at the end of this podcast. I should also mention that this is the uh, second time that Kane Hodder uh, has played Jason. Uh, and he played Jason from Part 7 all the way up to Jason X. I don't remember if he played him in uh, Freddy vs. Jason, but I know that he was the last uh, Jason Voorhees out of the entire uh, kind of Voorhees clan of actors. So, without further ado, let's get started with our film. Now, as you heard in the title music, I, I felt that it wasn't uh, right to cut it out and play it again. Um, I just included it with it. But we start with kind of that radio intro that's going on. Uh, talking about New York City, kind of talking about how it's the scumbag place of the earth. Uh, and... It really does kind of look like a shithole. I mean, just with the the little things that you're kind of shown while it's going uh, through the motions of showing you the title cards. I mean, you've got rats inside of toxic dumpsters. You've got people doing fucking drugs on the street. You got people rolling people in the middle of nowhere. 
Uh, it's just kind of all weird. Uh, and then as the, the title cards exit, we get that radio announcer again giving us a little more disposition on what's going to be happening in the film. You've been listening to WGAC, The Electricity mm. of Manhattan. <laughs> this request has gone all the way out to Crystal mm. Lake in the senior class at Lakeview That's High. That's us. All right. They'll be graduating on the 13th of this month. And we wish them the best of luck and success when they come to visit our seductive city. Our lure is a great one, young friends, but beware. The city of lights casts many shadows indeed. Okay, so that's not really ominous at all. That's, you know, just setting up what's really going to happen. We're already treated to two, you know, what are supposed to be high school seniors... Which, again, is it's a little weird at some points, uh, especially when they're kind of, you know, getting down to it, getting busy, and we're going to be shown boobs for at least some portion of this movie. Uh, they're in their little houseboat. Uh, I don't know. Maybe it's mom's. Maybe it's dad's. It's somebody's freaking uh, unit that they're borrowing, so that way that they can get it on before they go on this lovely trip to New York. Before these two can start going on, the dude here needs to go and drop the anchor into the ocean. And of course, when he does that, it managed to just, just like snag a uh, power line that's somehow under the lake. And I'm pretty sure that that's going to lead up to something. Back in the boat, we're introduced uh, again to the story of Jason Voorhees told to the girl by the dude that's trying to bang her. Hey, what's wrong? Nothing. Come on, Jimmy. Something's bothering you. Just they were right around that summer camp. Where all those murders took place. What murders? You don't want to know about it. Tell me. Forget about it, Susan. The guy's dead now. Somewhere at the bottom of this lake, if you believe the stories. What stories? There was this boy named Jason Voorhees. Drowned Crystal Lake about 30 years ago. None of the counselors heard him. A bunch of years went by. Everyone forgot about it. And that's when the murders started to happen. Jason did it. His mother blamed the counselors for her son's death. And she tried to kill them all. But she got her head chopped off by one of them. Legend has it that Jason came back to get even. Vowing to kill every teenager in the area. And every now and then, the murders just start up. So, as they're telling this story, you're getting shots uh, underwater of the anchor actually kind of starting to rip into that power line. And it does, eventually, shocking Jason's body, which we're also seeing shots of the entire time that that kid's talking to us. Well, talking to his, uh, you know, girl. And, honestly, is this the story when you're about to really have sex with somebody that you want to tell them? You know, you want to go in and be like, you know... Hey, babe, you want to hear about the time that all these kids just like us got murdered by some crazy psycho? Doesn't that make you moist? I mean, really, I don't get this kid at all. I understand that he probably wants to set up some type of situation where maybe he's going to scare the crap out of her and that's going to get her all, you know, ants in the pantsy. And she's going to be like, oh, my God, protect me. Sleep with me, please. Uh, Instead of just like, let's just get down to business and get done with it because she's obviously ready, you know. So, uh, nonetheless, Jason comes back to life by being electrocuted underwater. 
Now, it's not to say that Jason's resurrection is definitely shocking, but I digress. And it's weird, when he comes out of the water, or at least one of the shots that go down, there's this weird... Uh, listen for yourself. Now, is it just me, or does that sound like Jason is like laughing maniacally? Like, ha ha ha, I have risen. I am like Jesus and stuff, and I am back from the dead. I really don't know. I was kind of expecting to have, you know, that standard Jason type of calling that they have in every one of his films. You know, that thing. I was expecting that to actually pop up. Not to all of a sudden have Jason not show up in his spot anymore, and then you get... And it's not to say that they use the Jason, you know, sound. I guess that's what I'll call it throughout the film. But it was just weird in this part that we actually, you know, got to hear him laugh and that he's back from the dead. Ooh, I'm back from the dead. So we go back inside and, you know, they're still kind of going on it. And they decide, uh, well, she kind of gets freaked out. The girl gets freaked out. And she sends the dude to go out and look. Of course, he doesn't return right away. And what happens? She's outside of the houseboat. But before she can get there, suddenly somebody in a mask turns around and stabs her in the stomach. But wait, that's not Jason. That asshole's too skinny to be him. Why, it's our good friend, this dude that's trying to sleep with this girl, with a fake knife and a Jason mask. And of course, he thinks it's funny. It's great. Woo! I can't believe that, you know, uh, it's so dumb. Like, what What would you think would happen? You think she would not be pissed off when you pretend to kill her? Yeah, that's so goddamn funny. Well, so he goes back and he convinces her to come back to bed with him. And they're all being all whatever, teenager, kitty, sex craze type of people. And... What else would you expect but Jason to pop up and take the mask that he was using to scare, puts it on, stabs the boy, chases the poor girl around the cabin, and then when she goes in a place to hide, you know, he finally finds up with her. And she keeps saying, no, 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 no. Jason don't take no for an answer when he's going to kill you, which seems a little wrong, but... You know, he's a killer, so I guess he's not going to take no for an answer. And he slowly stabs her. And th that's the kind of the weird thing with both of these kills. Uh, I mean, it's the first guy, it's like a harpoon, and then I think it's a similar type of object with her. But the kills are so slow. I mean, he just, like, goes towards the... It's like I'm watching the, the 3D version of Friday the 13th again. And he's just pointing it at the camera and like, I'm supposed to expect it to come popping into my face. But ultimately, he just kills the person and stabs them really kind of slow and long. And it's actually kind of boring and annoying. Um, and now that he's killed these two, uh, he's off on a voyage because the anchor didn't work and the boat keeps moving. I mean, I guess it got caught on that one thing or Jason knows how to pull up anchor and, you know, pilot a ship. Uh, and we cut over to the next morning. It's the big day when all the seniors from the local high school, they're all going to go on their cruise to New York City. For some reason, they're all jumping on a boat here in Crystal Lake, and they're going to travel to the fine city, uh, however long that's going to take, 
And then, I guess, spend a couple of days there uh, partying and whatnot. It's kind of weird. I mean, I would have never thought about that in my high school, like going on a cruise. I mean, pretty much we went to an amusement park. That was kind of our... Well, we went down to Disney, let's say. And that was our big thing. And that was, I guess, a couple of days. Eh, it makes sense. I mean, I guess you could go on a cruise if you want to. But I always think that's kind of like a prom type thing. Not necessarily something that you would go to as your senior trip. And then to New York City, a bunch of teenagers kind of all, you know, horned and sexed up. Uh, you know, going out to sea. It's kind of weird. Uh, well, I guess it's the perfect killing grounds for Jason, right? And that's kind of what we're going to do. Pulling up to the docks are Colleen and one of her students, Rennie, who we later find out is the heroine of this movie. They start talking in the car and kind of, you know, going off things. She hands her some pen, I guess that belonged to Stephen King, but really makes no appearance whatsoever at any other part in the film. I mean, I thought at least maybe it'd be used for a weapon, but something else gets used uh, for what I thought would happen. And uh, there's no reference to her writings or anything like that. It also seems that she's got some type of phobia, but we don't quite know what it is. Because her uncle's a little upset, who is also happens to be one of the other chaperones for uh, this cruise. And he's definitely upset that she was brought along by Colleen. We never should have brought her here. It's up to Rennie to decide what she wants to do. She doesn't know what she wants. She never had a stable life till she came to live with me. Well, she certainly doesn't have one now, either. I'm her legal guardian, not you or anybody else. And I know what's best for her. End of discussion. No, I think it's just the beginning. It's weird. They kind of talk to each other like they're in a relationship, but they're not really. Like in the beginning, when I first kind of saw the interaction between the two, I thought, oh, this is her mom, that's her dad, and they just don't like each other, and they've been divorced, and he's, hold on. Finds out, that's Uncle Chuck. That's not even her dad or her mom. I mean, that's just a random teacher that's supposedly a really good friend of hers, and he's her legal guardian. And he knows that she's afraid of whatever she's afraid of, and, you know, it's not right for her to be on this cruise. It's really weird. They all get on the boat, and the boat's getting ready to take off. So we cut inside the cabin. And that's where we meet Toby and his father. See, his father is the captain of the ship, and his first mate's up there with him. And he thinks that Toby really should follow in his footsteps. I mean, like, really hardcore. He's really into being a boat captain, and Toby doesn't seem that excited at all. And so when he gets him to try to start up the ship in the correct way, it really kind of backfires on his father. He forgets something, dad kind of gets mad, and then Toby just runs off and dad has to do the rest of the ship. On his way out, he meets weirdo deckhand guy. I really don't know the purpose of this guy in this film other than to, to deliver creepy lines like this. This voyage is doomed. Yeah, tell me about it. And as everything starts pulling away, Jason actually is being pulled up to onto the ship via the anchor. He's just chilling there. Like, nobody sees him just kind of hanging out, doing anything. It's just, oh, hey, I'm going to catch a ride with this boat and maybe kill a bunch of teenagers. Is that cool? It's cool. So we're just going to go on from there. And then there's weird things that we see on the ship. Like, I know it was made in 1989, but it's weird to see some of these things actually being done on a ship. I mean, there's the normal things they show the kids doing, like shuffleboard. Okay, I get it. That happens on a ship. 
Oh, and they just have a little dance hall. Okay. Yeah, you got another little dance thing. Got the 80s groove going on, all that other stuff. And then in the back of the ship, there's fucking kids skeet shooting. Skeet shooting on a cruise ship? I mean, I understand it's like a tiny little ship. It's not like a big, you know, Royal Cruise or Disney Cruise or something like that. But I didn't know that you could skeet shoot on a damn ship. I mean, what happens if you accidentally pull and you hit somebody else? Like, somebody throws the clay pigeon in the wrong direction and you hit Joe over here instead. What's going to happen? You guys are going to get it fucked. Ah, uh, well, I guess that's the glory of the 80s then, right? You can just skeet shoot whatever the fuck you want over the ocean. Then we cut to a scene of Toby running up to Rin, uh, Rinny. Um, and it's weird because I guess they're dating. Like, you kind of don't get that in the beginning, but he gives her a present. They're either really good friends, or he's really into her and she doesn't know, or they actually are dating. I also forgot to state that she brought her dog with her. And that dog makes n- no sense for the whole movie. Honestly, you see him like four or five times throughout the whole film. And each time that you see him, it's like, the dog's still there? I- I'm totally serious about this. And uh, there's probably a couple more times than four or five times. But it really feels like there's barely any scenes with the dog. And I really thought that he was going to do something. But... He's just a MacGuffin for the whole film. Uh, he has no point in being in this film, and uh, I don't get it. Maybe he's like a, you know, a help dog or a guide dog for her or something like that. Or honestly, he's some type of like coping me- mechanism for her. So they're talking outside, and he gives her a gift of a golden necklace with the Statue of Liberty on it. It's kind of weird. This girl only gets presents from people. I mean... She didn't really get anything from Uncle Chuck, but a school isn't a little talking to. But from Toby and from Colleen, she gets gifts. Of course, Colleen's gift was a little more thoughtful and probably a little more pricey than that little piece of shit necklace that he got. I'm pretty sure that he got it from a generic shop on the island or around Camp Crystal Lake. And they said that it was gold, but it's really gold-plated. They're approached by her Uncle Charles... Where he scares Toby away, and then he wants to have a nice conversation with Renee on the side, because he's a little concerned about her. What are you doing here? We've already been through all of this. I'm sorry, Uncle Charles. Please don't be upset with me. I'm not upset. I'm just... Concerned. Yeah, he's concerned about keeping control of her, because every time that she does something on her own, it's really kind of... Like, he's a little on top of her and it's kind of creepy and kind of annoying and you can really kind of tell that as the rest of their conversation continues it's a big storm predicted for tonight Rennie you're making a big mistake it's not too late to put you back on shore if Miss Van Dusen knew how afraid you were of she didn't push me into this Rennie why are you doing this to yourself I don't even know what I'm afraid of, Uncle Charles. I can't even remember when it started. Don't you think it's time I found out and got over it? Facing your fear doesn't always conquer it. I'm staying. See, it's kind of a weird statement that he has at the end of that. Facing your fear does not always mean conquering it. And for the most part, I mean, I guess you could say that it makes a little bit of sense. But 
at the same time, I kind of believe that that might be the best way. Like, he really wants to shelter her. He doesn't want her to do anything that's going to cause her harm. Like, he's hiding something that you just can't quite put your finger on it. And maybe we'll learn more about it as the film goes along. Now we cut up to one of the cheesier parts of the movie. And after we've already seen two kills, uh, we're going to finally get our third one of the movie. Into Rennie's room, and she starts having weird sounds, and then she has a vision of a kid in the background. What's going on? Testing one, two, th- one, two, three, stop. Hey, 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 hey. Too cool, JJ. Your parents really came through. <laughs> no lie. Hey, I hear there's this big power room downstairs. We can get Supreme Concert Hall Echo. So come on down and shoot a basement tape on me, okay? Yeah, but I gotta get some shockumentary footage first. Oh, man. Don't tell me you're still trying to scam on Tamara. How long have we known each other? Don't be a dweeb, Wayne. She's not interested in you, only what you can do for her. And now another problem I have with this movie comes out. Characters are kind of introduced just to be killed off. So you have this girl here. I believe her name is Ivy. And see, I couldn't even remember and i hope i'm right on this one uh and she's here to talk about wayne because wayne isn't really kind of in love with tamra but tamra seems at this point in the film like she doesn't really do anything she just uses him she shows off her body to him i don't know in what way because i I cut it out but he says but she's sexy and he's just so enamored that he'll do whatever she wants and you have this girl who then goes down into the basement and now she's never going to be seen of again because she gets whacked in the face by Jason with her guitar. And Jason, uh, well, before I get on to the, some of the things with Jason's and some of the things with this kill, the other thing is, is honestly, concert hall sound? Concert hall echo? What kind of bullshit is that? You don't want that. You don't need that type of sound. You can put your own echo into the goddamn system, man. Even at that time, there are plenty of pedals that will give you the exact same fucking sound effect. And so that you can have that type of echo that you want. You don't want to get concert hall echo, especially when you're recording any type of audio. That's stupid. Who the fuck wrote this film? Wasn't a music major, that's for sure. Or any type of musician. Anyway, so when she goes downstairs, you know, she starts playing again. And then Jason randomly shows up behind her. And you can actually check out a clip of this on the Facebook page. I decided to upload this one because it's just kind of a showcase of how cheesy some of the deaths are in this film. Uh... And you you see him pop up. She stops playing. She somehow loses the guitar. Now, she had it in her hands. And then when she starts running away, she's no longer got the guitar. I don't remember seeing her put it down. And she may. And maybe I just missed it. But it's kind of like she's got a gun. And she runs away and she runs downstairs. And when she's at the bottom of the stairs, all of a sudden, who's in front of her? Fucking Jason Voorhees with her fucking guitar. Does he teleport now? Is he the fucking Flash? Like, can he just randomly fucking just run really fast and want to? You know, he's like Sonic the Hedgehog. If you barely push on the goddamn controller, Jason walks like he's fucking Frankenstein. But if you really push in on that analog, all of a sudden, he becomes the fastest thing alive. And he can fucking run in front of her without even being seen. And then what does he do? He takes the fucking guitar and smashes her in the head with it. And you don't see him hit her. Now, I'm not saying that I want to see the violence upon the person. But I want to kind of see the violence on the person, no matter who it was. 
You know, I want to see that hit. I want to feel that crunch. I want to, and we've gotten these from previous Friday the 13th movies. Well, instead, he hits the camera and the camera goes kind of red. It's weird. It's not exactly what I want to see, but these are the type of deaths that we get. Either we get deaths that are off camera, focused primarily on Jason doing an action, or we get a couple of actual deaths, like a couple of actual things that happen to people, and it's weird who it happens to and why it happens to them. So from here on out, it's now becoming a killing spree on the ship. We cut back inside of Renee's room, and she starts having weird visions she looks out the portcullis and she sees that there's a young boy that looks like he's drowning inside the water. And we get a little bit of a scare, but nothing much. It then cuts back into the hallway and Wayne has now run into Uncle Chuck and we get a sick Uncle Burn. Have you seen my niece anywhere? Uh, yeah, I think she's motivating downstairs, Mr. McCulloch. Uh, what's the problem? Well, I've seen your prediction started five minutes ago and she hasn't shown up yet. Oh, well, uh, maybe some of us don't want our futures predicted. Well, in your case, I'm sure that's true. We then cut over to Tamara and her Asian friend, Ava. And they're talking about things going on. And uh, Tamara asks Ava if she wants to party. And, you know, when I think of these movies... Well, first of all, I should say they're spying in on the boxers. And we get to meet one of the boxers that's down there uh, who will become a bigger part later on in the film. Uh, But the match goes on... You know, of course, the African-American guy beats the white guy, and uh, they have a nice little talk. Uh, And the girls on top are talking about which one's hotter. But, of course, uh, Tamara likes the older men, uh, and that seems to be her little flaw for this movie. Besides, of course, the drug use that we're going to see in a second. Now she says, hey, you want to go party to Ava? And, you know, I think when she holds up a little box, when people say, hey, you want to go party? I think a pot. I honestly do. But in this case, she's talking about cocaine. She's got cocaine readily on her. And she even has her little mirror to do everything and her razor blade to separate the lines all this stuff. And I'm like, really? I, maybe this is just a Camp Crystal Lake area teenager thing. But uh, most people I know, if they said, hey, you want to go party, you want to go do something uh, around here, uh, they're talking about pot. That's, that's it. And this is kind of a weird situation to think, Oh, hey, we're not going to go from that type of stoner. We're going to go to more of a tweaker stoner with cocaine. So they uh, start to do their stuff, and they're interrupted by uh, Renee first. And uh, they see her, ask her if she wants some coke. She says no, and then they're like, what if she goes and she narks on us? And uh, in the back of my mind, well, if she narks on you, then you deserve to be caught, right? Uh, So she leaves. And then they continue their coke uh, spree. And who comes around the corner but Uncle Chuck. And this is also interesting at the same time because we were seeing visions of Jason. Looks like that he was going towards them. So we kind of get the 180 when the camera is focused on kind of like the killer view. And instead of it being Jason, it's Uncle Chuck who catches them doing what they're doing. He tells the girls that they need to get their final reports in or else... Uh, they're going to be in trouble. To which Tamara kind of acts like a bitch, and she seems like the stuck-up, you know, high-end rich bitch. Uh, and she says, you know, when threatened to, with a call to her parents, oh, well, my parents are in town. And he says, if you don't have it, then I'm going to make sure that you don't go out and have fun in the city with your friends. So uh, 
she thinks ultimately that Renee was the one that uh, narked on them. But in fact, she didn't. So she has a plan to get back at her. Well, her plan to get back at her is to actually knock her ass into the lake. That's right. I said it. They're outside. And she accidentally... Oh, I can't believe I did it. It was just an accident. But she, like, fucking elbows her in the fucking ribs and knocks her right into the ocean. So that's when we figure out that Renee, she cannot swim. And she actually has aquaphobia. Care to talk about it? I can't swim. No kidding. Have you ever thought about taking lessons? It's not that simple. Colleen, you're kind of a bitch there to say that. Really? I'm not going to take lessons? Like, what? What What does that have to do with anything? Why, why would she need to take lessons? I mean, especially at this point. She's been knocked in the water. She barely survived. You know, her boyfriend, Sean, who I accidentally called Toby earlier. That's the name of the dog, by the way, is what I found out. See how memorable these characters are in this movie? I can't even remember their fucking names. But anyway, Sean had jumped in the water and saved her. And, you know, Colleen's trying to comfort her at the same time. And to say, maybe you should get swimming lessons is like making light of the situation that she was practically going to drown. Uncle Chuck, of course, shows up and he's very, very upset that they saved her life. Good God. Take it easy, Charles. She's all right. Oh, I can see that. You've done a wonderful job of supervising the kids. What the hell happened here? It wasn't her fault. Give me those towels. You stay away from her. Both of you. She's come back. And you're all gonna die. Okay, two things. I forgot something. And uh, I want to talk about this deckhand real fast. So, talking about this guy. I don't know who the fuck he is. He just shows up. He shows up all the fucking time and brings doom and gloom into the situation. Each time it's something about something going bad or all the people on the boat are going to die or Jason Voorhees this, Jason Voorhees that. He seems to be in the know, but at the same time, he really has no purpose in this film other than to be the bringer of bad news and then, you know, possibly die later. Now, what I did skip before the scene happened, and I can't believe I forgot to talk about this, is one of the better deaths in the movie. But it's also one of the cheesiest ones, and it's only because of the situation that happened. See, while we thought that Jason was going to go kill Tamara and Eva, uh, he actually goes and kills the opponent of the African-American boxer inside the ship. He thinks that the guys come up on him and that he's going to, you know... Uh, he's saying, oh, we had such a good fight. His face is covered with a towel. But the biggest thing I noticed before the scene starts is that the guy's chest already has red stains on it, which means this isn't the first cut that they did of the film. This is, I don't know what cut, but whatever they're using to fake blood is clearly all over his chest. I mean, it's very red and you can see it. And I thought, well, maybe it's because they're actually doing like a sauna thing and he's kind of sweating and... Nope, because the guy, he gets killed by Jason. And he gets his, uh, Jason's hand goes through his chest. And you kind of see it, and it kind of looks okay. But when they show him being dead uh, on the bench of the sauna, he's laid back. And in that spot where the red stuff was, is the blood. So they took multiple takes of Jason killing this guy. 
And they've decided that the best one that that happened happened to have traces of the makeup that was still on him from ending the scene. Or they did it backwards where they shot the scene and then they put the, or, you know, the blood. And then they did the scene where he gets him. You know, the the effect is okay. Uh, It's not necessarily the best in the film. Maybe it is, to be honest, because... There's one that's pretty bad later on, but uh, I digress, and we shall continue. I also want to mention, too, that while uh, Renee was inside the water, or Rinny, I, I don't know, it, it looks like Renee, in, but it, I think they pronounced it Rinny, and again, I apologize if I'm not pronouncing the name correctly, but while she was in the water, again, she saw the same dead boy, and he looked like he was grabbing her and trying to pull her down, and... I'm getting more and more suspicious that something that, you know, helps with her backstory. So now Charles is going around the ship and he decides that he's going to make his words come true. He visits Tamara's room to inspect the uh, project that she has due. And instead of inspecting the project, why he gets to get a whole whiff of that ass. Hey. What do you think you're doing? I mean... Now you stop that. I mean, really? Take a closer look, Charles. I want to make sure I've labeled all my organs correctly. Now, if that isn't one of the most sexiest scenes that you've ever heard in a movie, especially in a horror movie, you'd probably be right. It's pretty fucking awful. I mean, the thing is that you don't really get there while watching it. Like, you're listening to it. You listen to a lot of these things on here because, hey, this is an audio podcast. This isn't video. But watching it with that, it's really badly ADR'd. Like, it sounds horrible right there, especially like, hey... What are you doing? No. I mean, he's not really trying to fight her. She's taken off her clothes and she's got everything drawn on her body. Uh, all the different body parts, you know, that are inside. Uh, your internal organs, as some might say. Uh, this guy does not because he doesn't know what he's talking about. But anyway, uh, so he's doing this and she's turning around and she's doing this like sexy thing. And he's off camera and it just sounds really misplaced to what you're seeing on there i understand there's supposed to be like a oh my god what is she really doing but it's so badly dubbed over that it just sounds super cheesy and dumb it's not even like i'm surprised that you're doing this it's like i can barely talk so he goes and uh he like i said he doesn't really fight her off at first but then he does and gets really upset with her And it turns out that Wayne's been filming from the hallway. And she's going to use this as a blackmail to make sure that she does what, you know, she's able to go do what she's doing and she can get the grade that she wants. Charles leaves disgusted but says that he's, you know, she's going to get hers coming to her. Uh, And uh, then we're left with a very awkward conversation between poor love-struck Wayne and Tamara. Listen, uh, this is going to sound supremely lame and I know it. But, um, I've had the major hots for you since our sophomore year, Tamara. That's so sweet, Wayne. And I really would love to stay in chat. But 
are really impressed for time. So, we must be sure to get together later. Okay, yeah, I just thought, yeah. but I, maybe we could... Well, after being kicked out of the room, Wayne calls himself an asshole, but honestly, you're not an asshole for expressing your feelings towards this person. You're just a fucking idiot. Because obviously your friend, JJ or Ivy or where the fuck her name was, was kind of into you, uh, as I could see for a little bit there, uh, but also warned you that you're just going to get hurt. And what happens? You walk away, uh, and then we get a shower scene. Uh, and we see kind of the silhouette of Tamara's body there and you know we get a little bit of side boob which I guess is okay uh but of course there's knocking at the door and who else could it be but fucking Jason Voorhees coming out of the middle of nowhere busting through the door he grabs her and he throws her so hard against her mirror that her clothes completely come off I mean she's wearing a robe I get it but you'd think that it would kind of stay on, but it completely comes off her body, and it's pretty fucking hilarious. Well, he she ends up smashing her head against the mirror, and he grabs a piece of it, and we're assumed that she gets her comeuppance, and he stabs her to death. It also seems like, before the scene, though, that Jason went into, like, solid state, snake stealth mode here, because she can't even hear him coming. But he walks with the... Like, that thud. Like, it's so obvious that somebody is coming, but honestly, it's weird that you can't tell what's going on. So, but ultimately, she gets killed, and we move on from there. We go up into, this time, the captain's lodge, or I should say the cabin, and we see uh, Sean's dad talking to his first mate and actually giving some type of heartfelt advice. Hold your boy now, Carlson. 19 months. Tremendous age. Take some advice. Don't push him too hard. And I want to make another note at this point in the film. Right now, we're about 40 minutes into the film, and this film is called Friday the 13th Part 8, Jason Takes Manhattan. But at 40 minutes into this fucking movie... We are still on this fucking boat. He has not even gone into New York yet. How is he going to take Manhattan if he's never fucking there? And if he's taking Manhattan, why is he focusing on these fucking kids? It makes no fucking sense. Then the other thing here is, why do we have this heartfelt scene between the first mate and the captain? It makes no sense until you see Jason grab a harpoon and kill them fucking both. The guy's got a 19-month-old son, and you're going to kill him off? How fucked up is that? You know what's even more fucked up? Is that Sean and Renee are going to walk up and walk in on Sean's dad's dead body. That's horrible. Your dad is on the ship, and he gets killed by Jason? What the hell is going on? The other thing that you see, even with this scene, is that almost all of the kills, besides being very slow all come primarily from the point of view of the victim you see jason doing something whether it's jason stabbing the camera or jason hitting the camera in the head with a guitar or jason uh well i guess the only one really is the hot uh, or the sauna scene where jason you see him but it's still kind of off camera 
but he punches down into the person's stomach. But everything is here. And even with the death of the dad in this one, like the guy gets stabbed, but the dad, he does get his throat slit by Jason, but there's no blood. There's nothing. It's just like, here's the violence, but you don't see any aftermath of what the violence does. Like, his head's not missing, his throat doesn't open up, blood doesn't pour down. And I'm not saying that, again, I need to see the violence. Like, that's what we need. You can have these types of kills, or you can have psychological and not be so violent. But in a movie like this, if you're going to show somebody getting their neck slit, show the blood. Show it falling down. Don't just fucking go away from it. It makes no fucking sense to me. I just don't understand it, and I don't know why they decided to make these choices. The movie, I believe, is still rated R because it's got nudity, it's got some cursing in it, and it's got some deaths that are, you know, can be considered gruesome. But why, overall, can you not show these deaths? It makes absolutely no sense to me. I mean, nowadays, when you have a PG-13 type movie you can really still like they still show you a lot of the violence there just isn't the blood it's not like the olden days especially in the 80s when we had these movies that the slasher movies that they were there specifically to have an r rating and to you know show you the gore and do these inventive kills it not something like like this film where you just get you get these kills that are all off screen and just kind of slow it's not it's not what i expected it to be especially for an r-rated film so after seeing his dad dead on the bridge sean calls to everybody that they need to come out and everybody needs to get together attention everybody Attention. This is Sean Roberts. Well, have you seen JJ? She's supposed to be jamming down the power. Shh. shh. What I mean, uh, this is an emergency. I want you all to come to the bridge. What the fuck is this? And it's weird in this situation. You wouldn't think that you'd be as calm as he is here after just seeing your dad dead. I mean, he was kind of propped up onto the wheel. You don't know what's going on. Uh... And here you go, there's your your dead father. So everybody comes up to the bridge, and they all meet, and they start talking about what's going on. They see everything that's going to happen. And that's where, again, we get Mr. Deckhand Guy giving us some disposition. They're all going to die. They're the last ones. He's come back for you. What the hell are you talking about? Jason Voorhees. You're insane. Jason Voorhees has been dead for years. He came down the river and he's gotten on board. He walks the ship here and now. Yes, a killer walks the ship, all right. And it's certainly none of us. What are you, what are you doing? You're the one who's insane. That last line makes absolutely no sense. You're the one who's insane. Maybe because he's not listening to him. Now I think of it, maybe it makes some sense. But honestly, he's pretty insane too because you would think that, well, if he knew, why wouldn't he try to do anything about it? Or why wouldn't he warn them earlier? I mean, he kind of did, I guess. You're all going to die. You're all going to die. But he never tells them exactly why. 
And he doesn't try to actually save the day. He just basically tells him, hey, you're going to die. Here comes fucking Jason Voorhees. The uh, the boxer guy, he decides that he's going to go around and he's going to look for the people or look for Jason to try and stop him. Uh, Uncle Charles here tells him, no, you shouldn't be doing that. And <laughs> the boxing guy gives a witty little line saying, school's out. And I really think that he should have finished that like Alice Cooper. He's So uh, we also find out that Mr. Uncle here is a complete and utter control freak. You had me worried to death. The shot said that we needed to drop the anchors. I'm the one you should be listening to. Do you think dropping an anchor in the middle of a storm makes any sense whatsoever? That's after they were trying to actually stop the, the ship so they can basically either try to escape or figure out what's going on away for the Coast Guard. And I guess it does make a little bit of sense in terms of where they're at and it's gotten to be all stormy and cloudy and maybe you don't want to just do that. But she's just trying to do something, and they're trying to do something to help. And he gets all like, no, you have to listen to me. And I just, uh, it's so, he's so protective of her. And you don't know why just yet. Uh, and what does he do? He takes her to her room and fucking locks her in there. Because that's the smart thing to do when people are dying on the ship and there's a killer on the ship. We also then, we so we switch around and Jason's still combing the ship. And what does he do? He finds poor Ava, the Asian girl. And this is one of the things where I'm a little weirded out by this part of the film. And it's not anything really major. Uh, and I'm not going to go into a whole thing like, oh, it's racist or whatever it is. But every time that somebody gets killed on camera, it's a minority. Like, almost the whole film. It's really kind of weird. There's a couple. I mean, the dad, yeah, okay, I guess I get that one. He gets his throat slit in slow-mo with no blood. But that's what we get. But here we actually, like, see majority of what's going to happen to her. And it's kind of an interesting shot scene because she goes in there, you know, and it's one of those scenes where he's there, then he's not there. Oh, my God, where could he be? And then he turned, camera pants, camera pants, camera pants. And then almost said, oh, my God, here's Jason. And then Jason grabs her by the neck and chokes her to death. And this is all done in the disco thing. Now, I really thought that Jason was probably going to start getting down and breakdancing and really serve that girl. But, alas, he chokes her to death and said, I think it would have been a lot more funny if he challenged her to a dance-off and he was actually able to out-breakdance her. Well, you know, eh, I guess that's the way that it would have gone. You got served. So we also roll over to the the group of guys that are left. The African-American guy and a couple of the other dudes and Wayne. And they're all getting weapons that the African-American guy has grabbed up uh, that they're going to use to fight Jason. There's another little pun that's kind of weird and not that funny. Um, and... Uh, then we cut over and we see Wayne and he's kind of going down the hallways and he's underneath the ship. He sees the body of his dead friend who's been killed by the guitar and uh, he gets shot in the face by some steam. Now, he can't see really well. He's turned to Velma at this point. And he sees an, a big blob coming forth towards him. And so what does he do? He shoots and kills one of his classmates on accident. And now... This brought up something to me. Uh, Jason doesn't like the fact that you're a kill stealer. 
I mean, that was his kill, rightfully so. So when he shows up, he basically beats the shit out of poor Wayne, throws him into uh, some of the, the piping, which causes him to catch on fire. Actually, it was like an electrical board, but it looked like the, some of the pipes that were around there. And so that's what you get when you steal a kill from Jason. You get killed yourself pretty horribly. And that's one of the better kills in the movie as well. Because uh, we, we see a little more and the guy basically just kind of sets on fire. It's interesting. Uh, it works for whatever the scene may have you. We cut back up into the cabin. And here comes Uncle Dick spouting off more shit again. Did you find Rennie? She's locked safely in her room. No thanks to either of you. Have you brought her back on course yet? He's doing the best he can. He's the son of a captain, for Christ's sakes. You ought to be able to operate this thing. Well, do something. See, now for the rest of the movie, this guy is just going to be a big fucking dick. Because the dude's dad just died. Like, not very long ago. And you expect him to suddenly take over and be the master fucking uh captain that his dad was oh yeah my dad was a captain but doesn't mean that i'm gonna be the super stellar captain if i'm not into that shit we're almost up to an hour here folks and we're still on this fucking shit we go outside and we see that jason has somehow again uh gotten teleportation powers and he's able to chase this guy around the ship without any problems he, you know, tried to whack at him with an axe, but then he realized he couldn't get away from Jason. So he first runs one way, jumps off of a couple of things. You know, Jason's just kind of walking around. And then he climbs up this really tall, like, um, I don't want to call it a flagpole. Uh, but it's like kind of like a nest up top if you see him on the ship. Uh, and he's almost at the top, and Jason's at the bottom. And then two seconds later, they cut up to the top, and Jason's caught up to him and throws him from the damn thing, and he falls on one of the satellite towers. Again, that's a little weird. That's a little quick. How did Jason get so fast? I understand he's a supernatural being. But, you know, that guy was way ahead of him. Uh, I guess Jason's just managed to learn how to instant transmission all over the goddamn place. He also attacks the African-American guy who tries to shoot at him but misses. Uh, and he throws him into the water. Again, I'm not saying anything, but there are probably reasons why he thought to throw him in the water. Probably because he thought he couldn't swim. And that's just completely wrong and racist. After this, we go back down to Jorini's room. And she starts seeing visions of the same kid that she saw before. And now it's pretty obvious that that's Jason Voorhees as a young kid. Because his face is disformed. And honestly, this... I'm not sure what they were trying to portray here. Because I laughed really hard and I'm probably going to hell for it. Because the kid is there and he's having like an epileptic type of shock. The way that he's moving, the way the makeup's done on him. He's only there for a split second, but I could not stop laughing at the poor kid. And I feel bad because I think they're trying to portray something different. He's, she's seeing him as a young kid, more vulnerable and stuff like that. And honestly, it just looks like the kid's, kid's a little slow. And uh, yeah, it's funnier than it should be. Well, Jason then bursts through the portcullis and grabs her. And I am mistaken. The pen did come into play because she does stab him in the eye with a pen. 
Now, she does something later, too, where I think it's something similar to him. Uh, I think it's twice that he gets stabbed in the face with something. She's able to fight him off. Sean comes in and comforts her. And then we go back into the bowels of the ship. Things are exploding because the power is being cut off and the ship is actually starting to sink. Uh, Uncle Dick here, he's carrying a flare gun around because he's going to try to use that to stop you know, whatever he believes not to be Jason, whoever the killer is on the ship. We also run into weird fucking deckhand guy, and he basically is killed by Jason. It's really kind of shitty and kind of stupid. Uh, Sean brings Rennie back up to the crew, and of course Uncle Dick has to some, something to say about it, but Sean suddenly has grown, grown some balls. Rennie, what the heck? Let go of her! She never should have set foot on this ship! It's all your fault. This is Jason's fault. Not another word about Jason, you hear me? No, I don't. It's time you listen to me if you want off this ship alive. Yeah, because it actually is fucking Jason's fault. Jason's been seeing all of this fucking ship by everybody on the fucking ship, maybe except for you, Uncle Dick, and they can all verify that it was fucking Jason. Well, long short of it, they're actually able to get off the damn boat into a lifeboat, and they manage to find the boxer guy in the water. So magically, he can actually swim, which is great. No stereotypes here. So they save him, and they all uh, start rowing off to nowhere because the ship is blowing up and sinking, and uh, all their friends are dead. So the people that are left on this expedition uh, is Rennie, Colleen, Uncle Dick, boxer guy, Sean, and the dog, which... I haven't seen the dog for this whole fucking movie since the time that he was inside the portcullis. Like, he hasn't done anything. I don't even think I saw him in the last scene where the we had the vision of Jason as a child and Jason burst through the window. So, somehow, some way, the dog fucking survived. And now they're all on their boat. And that still gives Uncle Dick to be a, a total dick to Sean. I hope you can find shore soon, Captain... We all don't want to drown out here. So they're rowing in the ocean, and finally, what do we see in the distance? At about uh, an hour and uh, ten minutes into the film, why it's New York. Sweet old New York. And are we finally going to see Jason actually take Manhattan? I don't know. I guess we'll have to see in just a second. So now that they've landed in New York, what is the most stereotypical thing that could happen to them? Why? They get mugged. Like, (laughs) well, before that, you actually see that Jason has somehow followed them the entire time. Like, they've been rowing forever, and they manage to get there. And they actually celebrate when they get to New York, and they're all happy that they're actually there. But they also don't seem to remember that a boat full of fucking teenagers just got killed along with the captain and the first mate and a deckhand. When they pull up to the uh, the dock, you know, Uncle Dick complains about the fact of the dock that they're at. Uh, and then Jason, after they leave the scene, he piles out of the water. And that's when they're mugged by two random guys. Uh, they manage to take the chain off of poor Rennie's neck, and then they decide, in the creepiest way possible, that they're going to kidnap her. Please don't hurt her! This princess? Should I do that? You 
like a real party girl, princess. You want to go on a date with me and my friend? If you're free, that is. <laughs> Follow us, we blow our fucking head off. Comprende? So, they run off with Rennie, and Uncle Dick decides that, hey, we need to split up to make sure that we find her. This, of course, is probably not the best idea in the world, but this is the only idea that they have, and he still wants to be in control, so they, you know, go off in their own separate directions. We then cut over to these two uh, people who happen to be the heroin junkies in the beginning of the film and they managed to uh shoot some well i say heroin but it could be any type of drug random drug and they decide that they're going to shoot up poor renee uh and uh leave her there to you know get high and then i guess do stuff to her well who comes to the rescue why it's jason Voorhees. oh you are not gonna kill my girl or do anything to her I'm going to be the one to fucking kill her. And this is where I thought that something else was used on Jason, but it's actually Jason that uses the hypodermic needle to shove through the back of the guy through his freaking chest. Now, his friend comes around the corner and starts shooting Jason, but of course that's not going to take him down. You would be thinking at this time that Rennie would be just fucking bolting out of there. Just, oh my god, I can't believe this is going on. I have an opportunity to leave... But instead, she's kind of stuck there in shock, and she's screaming and yelling. And uh, she's, uh, you know, taken out of the place. Well, not taken out of the place. She leaves after everything has uh, settled down, after Jason has killed both guys. So, so far, if we're counting this, this is Jason 2, New York nothing. And uh, then, all of a sudden, we we cut around, and we have the, the African-American guy, the boxer guy, and he is on a rooftop. And magically jason has found him i I, it doesn't make any sense to me but uh, of course it's jason so we have to let it go now jason uh or the boxer good decides that he ain't got no uh you know weapons to fight jason with so he's gonna just try to box him and so he boxes him and uh the dude needs to do more cardio because he after about i don't know uh, 30 seconds of fighting him one his hands are completely bloodied i mean he's got blood all over his knuckles and hands and everything but he is winded as hell uh and then he tells jason go ahead and take a shot and then we get one of the sillier kills in this movie uh but it is one of the ones that I guess you could say is actually kind of one of the more gory kills because he knocks his block off. He knocks his head off uh, with a very strong uppercut. Some would say it's more of a wrestling move, more of a European uppercut that he does. Uh, but he knocks the poor African-American uh, boxer guy's head off and kills him instantly. And that probably is, like I said, the goriest kill in this entire movie. And it looks really terrible. Like, absolutely terrible. We then cut over, we find that Sean has found poor Rennie, and they meet up with Uncle Dick and Colleen, and Sean explains that Jason has been found in New York. Mr. McCulloch, Jason is here in New York. Rennie saw him. Just shut up about Jason, will you? So, they actually find a cop nearby, and they all pile into his cop car, trying to escape. But when you look at the front seat... The head of poor boxer guy is in the front, freaks everyone out, and then Jason comes in and kills the cop that they found. 
who managed to actually be a nice guy and kind of believe them that somebody was chasing them uh, and was able to help them out. But, of course, he paid for being nice. Rennie gets in the front of the, the car and starts driving the car uh, and actually aiming it towards Jason. Now, there's this weird, like, stop, still picture, still motion, like, shooting that's going on in this scene that I don't quite get. But she runs into what she thinks is Jason and ends up actually crashing the car. Uh, and everybody gets out of there except for poor Colleen and the car blows up. Like, what a way to go. Nobody decided to go back and try to help her because Sean helps Rennie out of the car. But Uncle Dick is only for himself, and he ends up letting fucking Colleen die when she didn't need to die in the call at all. And that's when we get a weird flashback to when Rennie was a kid with her uncle, and we truly find how fucked up Uncle Dick is. It's so pretty today. Perfect day for swimming. You know, young lady, you've been coming out here every summer for the last three years, and you still haven't learned how to swim. I'll fix your muscles this time. I promise. <laughs> now, that's what you said last year. I think the time has come for your first swimming lessons. You don't want to end up drowning like that Borges boy, do you? He never learned how to swim either. Still in the bottom of this lake. He is not. Yes, indeed he is. And he's ready to pull down anybody who falls in and can't swim. You're telling a lie. Let's find out. Okay, now what the fuck is going on here? So he's the one that gave her aquaphobia. Because he pushed her into the lake. Like a fucking asshole. And then who happens to be in the lake? And this is in Camp, Camp Crystal Lake. Who's down there? It actually happens to be Jason Voorhees, and he's trying to pull her under. So she, her, everything is caused by him. And now I kind of put two and two together of why Jason's trying to kill everybody, and it's really loose and shitty. He wants to finish the job that he did tried to do as a kid. Because now all of a sudden he's back. He's already killed enough of other kids and had some weird storylines with Tommy and fucking, uh, what's his name? Uh, Corey fucking Feldman, you know, and, and whatever the psychic bitch was and the other one that was at attacking her, uh, it, it, it drives me batty, batty at this point, because the reason is that really, I mean, he, again, we, I mean, I talked about it at the beginning of the damn podcast where I was talking about, you know, he's really kind of like a punisher for your sins, but at the same time here, you've got this and you have her, he just wants to finish the job, but he's just going to kill all the other people uh, in the meantime. And it's all really caused by Uncle Fucker face here. You know, Mr. Uncle Fucker, he just like, he has to have everything done his way and he has to keep it in fucking control. And since she wasn't willing to try to learn how to swim there, he just threw her in the fucking lake. What kind of bullshit is that? Not like, I'm going to go in with you, we're going to do this. But no, I'm just going to push you in the fucking lake and you better learn how to fucking swim for this way, you stupid little bitch. You know, it's... You need to just fucking kill your uncle right now. And ultimately, she does come out and has that revelation with him. You push me into the lake. Yeah. I'm only trying to teach you. You almost killed me. I was drowning. I pulled you out. I, I saved your life. 
son of a bitch. He was down. Yeah, okay. I saved your life. I pulled you out. But you caused a stupid fucking situation, Uncle Fucker. I can't believe that you... Oh my god. It, it bothers me to no end that you have this type of character in this film. Because... You knew, you knew something was up all the time, but why do we have to have this revelation in New York? Because it's still not about Jason taking fucking Manhattan. Now it's about dealing with fucking uncle issues. The fact that he caused problems in your life and shit is still going on. So, they leave him there, and of course, Jason is going to get his revenge on uh, the poor uncle for her. So Uncle Fuckers finally sees Jason after he's fucking denied him I don't know how many times. He keeps saying that there's absolutely no Jason out there. Yet, he has seen Jason at least five times up to this point in the movie. Including when the fact that Jason just fucking killed the cop in front of them. And he was still denying him even up to this point in the movie. I, it's just character stupidity. It's such a poorly written character at this point how can you keep denying it and living in this denial i guess because he doesn't even think that he caused any problems with her because he ended up saving her oh sure i passed i pushed you into the goddamn lake but at least i saved your life right so he runs away from jason after finally realizing that jason's fucking real and he runs into a building and two seconds later he's thrown out a window like how did Jason do that? Like, again, instant transmission. That's the only thing I can think of. Either he's become... Jason is now the fucking Flash, or Jason is Goku from Dragon Ball Z and can fucking instant transmission from one place to another. So he, he also catches... After he throws him to the ground, he catches him, and he throws him in a big, like, barrel of toxic waste and drowns him. We then catch up with Sean and Rinny. And by the way... The dogs run off at some point, and I don't know where the fuck he is. I just want to say that we saw the dog when they got onto the docks, and now he's gone. So, we catch up to Sean and Renee, and she starts telling Sean about her past. I was at school, and they told me, Renee, your parents died in a car Seems like everybody I care about, I lose. It's not gonna happen this time. I also have to wonder here: Did the heroin help in like her have that vision or whatever drug she was given? Like, it was it some type of serum, super serum that actually did good for her body? Maybe the movie's trying to tell me do drugs, and maybe you'll actually figure out what happened to you in your past life that you blocked out completely. Also. I'm really tired of this lovey-dovey moment. I wish Jason would just fucking pop up and deal with it right... Oh, there he is. He starts uh, chasing after these two now, and they go into the, the subways. And they manage to get on the train, but again, Jason is faster than the subway car, and somehow manages to get on the fucking train with him. And again, they're showing that, hey, this is New York. You can see this guy chasing these poor kids down... He obviously looks a little weird because he's kind of tall, he's kind of hulking, uh, and he looks like he's completely wet and he's wearing a hockey mask. I mean, nah, he couldn't be doing the bad. He's just chasing his poor kids. I don't want to get involved. So he chases him down the subway. They pull the emergency brake, 
and they manage to get out of the car before Jason comes and gets them. He still manages to kind of catch up to them, but they're able to knock him into the third rail of the subway and electrocute him and run away, and they happen to pop out what seems like to be Times Square. They're just kind of amazed and looking around for a second, and then who pops out of the sewers but, well, the subway, I should say, but Jason himself. And they do this panning shot of him out in New York, uh, which I don't know why, but they do it anyway. And they freak out and try to run away from him. They try to get help, but Sean basically convinces Rennie that, hey, it's you got to keep you know running away. You can't just stay behind. And one of the funniest and the best scene in the entire movie happens. And again, I posted a video of this up on the Facebook page, so please go and check it out. But there's these guys... And they're playing a boombox. And the song is really, really shitty. Something about uh, New York, you know, ain't gonna, you know, you can't mess with the city. There ain't nothing with the city, blah, blah, blah. Well, they're playing their boombox. There's a bunch of four punk kids. And then Jason just walks by and for no reason he's like, fuck your boombox. And just kicks it up into the air. Which causes the kids to get all pissed off at him, pull weapons on him. He turns around, just lifts up his mask. And they're all like, oh, pick, yep, okay, and they run off. I mean, I'm not doing it as justice as much in audio format, but you need to watch this scene, as it is the best part of it. We go back to Sean and Rennie, and they're now inside a uh, delicatessen, and we find out, it's honestly, New Yorkers just don't fucking care. I'm Zina, yeah. Hey, yeah, well, it's at 3 a.m. like always. Look, you've got to call the police. There's a payphone in back, but it's broke. Look, you don't understand. There is a maniac trying to kill us. Welcome to New York. Ha, 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 ha. Welcome to New York. So they go ahead and they chase. Uh, Jason comes in and breaks down the door. Some guy tries to stop him. He gets thrown into the glass in slow motion. They run away. Uh, and then they go into the sewers. And I definitely would not want to go down there. Uh, somebody's mutated goldfish is probably running amok in New York. They run around. They're still running away from uh, Jason. I thought they'd maybe have some type of standoff showdown. But, you know, they don't. They just keep running. And they run into a worker down there that explains what's going to be happening soon. What the hell are you kids doing down here? Can you help us get out of here? Sure can, but we haven't got a minute to spare. What do you mean? Toxic waste, son. The sewer floods out with the stuff every night at midnight. Less than ten minutes from now. Come on, follow me. So they follow him, and they get to a point where they can try to escape. But Jason shows up, and off-camera, once again, kills this poor guy that's trying to help the, the kids out. Uh, Sean gets knocked back, and it's up to Rennie to somehow... Uh, get him, uh, distract him by using a flashlight. Yeah, a, f- a flashlight. Basically shines it in the mask. I guess Jason is also a fucking cat. Uh, where you can just shine like a laser pointer in his face and he's gonna start jumping around all nimbly pimbly like and, uh, find the damn, uh, follow the damn light. So he follows her and she backs him into a corner where she has, uh, a bucket of toxic waste. That she throws in his face. And this gives you one of the worst makeup jobs that I've ever seen in a film. 
When you think of Jason, and when you think of what his face like, it's pretty scary. And you've seen the makeup done pretty well. But imagine that scary face being melted. Do you think it would look like a rubber mask? Like uh, Chunk, not Chunk, but uh, the dude from the Goonies. Hey, you guys! You know, that, but even worse. I mean, that's not bad makeup. I'm not saying that it is. But it looks like him, uh, but... uh, Horrible. Absolutely horrible. Again, you have to find a picture of it because I can't do it justice here. It's all blue. It's got like a kind of a skull look. Uh, well, she distracts him enough with the acid to start getting Sean and her climbing out of there. And all of a sudden, before Jason can get to them, the sewers start to flush with toxic waste. And Jason gets caught in the flow of the the toxic waste there. And you know, my thought to myself, well, maybe Jason's going to become the new Toxic Avenger. But for New York City, I mean, he can wear a tutu, he can get himself a nice mop, he can stop crime. He already killed a couple of criminals. I mean, what else do you think he could do? It would be great for him. Well, alas, Jason uh, slowly transforms into his kid self. Uh... I guess that's what toxic waste does. It turns you into yourself as a kid. Oh, it's a shitty way for him to die or for him to be defeated. Uh, they leave him there. They go out into the city. And then you get like a uh, scary cam. And here, guess who decides to show up at the M when you think that it could be Jason once again? And after that, you do get the end thing. Toby! The goddamn dog lived. So that ultimately was Friday the 13th Part 8, Jason Takes Manhattan. Or as I think it should have been called, Jason Takes a Killing Cruise. Because majority of the movie takes place on the goddamn boat. We maybe get 30, maybe 40 minutes actually in New York. And it still really does nothing about Jason taking New York. He doesn't take shit. All he does is he kills a couple people in New York. And he chases the people he was killing on the fucking boat. There are a couple of good scenes in this movie, but for the most part of it, it's really fucking slow and kind of annoying. It's it's not the best uh, film, and it's not the worst film in the world. There's plenty of other films that are worse, but it's not a fun film. It could be bad, and it, but it still could be fun, and I'd be okay with it. 
the Friday the 13th movies are pretty much, you know, they can be bad, but they're really fun too at the same time. And there are a lot more freaking uh, Friday the 13th movies, I think, than uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Though there are quite a few Nightmare on Elm Street films. I'm not saying that there are a lot. Now, the case with the dog. The dog randomly shows up at the end. I really wish they had used it more. Maybe the dog sacrificed itself to block Jason off at one point. uh, And then came back, survived. You thought the dog got killed, but really uh, it was able to get away from Jason. There's the surprise. But instead, he runs like a bitch at one point in the movie in New York City. And then he shows up when everybody's fucking dead and there's only two left. What kind of fucking dog are you? I mean, it makes absolutely no sense. I mean, that's such a twist for the movie. Uh, here we think that maybe Jason's still alive and he's coming after him again at one last time. But oh no, it's just the goddamn dog. So, ultimately, the way I feel about this film is it's just really slow. And it takes forever to get to New York. There's no reason why it should take that long to actually get to the point where Jason actually comes into New York. And I can totally understand if you need to find a way to actually bring him into the city. Because he's going from Camp Crystal Lake to New York. Put him on the boat. Don't spend so much time there. Maybe just kind of hide the fact that he's there. He kills a couple of people. And they realize something is going on. But the majority of the movie takes place there. And it's just really freaking annoying. I I just... uh, If it was any other thing but... You know, the title of the movie it just doesn't match what's actually happening in there. Again, the movie should be called Jason Takes a Killing Cruise. Because that's all he does. So, this movie is super crappy. So, the crap factor of this movie is a 5 out of 5. From the makeup, to the special effects, to the kills, everything is just really generic. And it's very silly, or silly looking. The gore factor is a 1 out of 5 because there really aren't any good scenes of gore. The gory things kind of happen. Dude getting his head knocked off. Jason going and plunging his face into the guy's stomach. Uh, You know, those effects are there, but they're still shitty. The blood that they use to put on top of the people, it's very ugly looking. It doesn't even look like blood or ketchup. It's very bright. It it, it looks too clear. You know, it is very bright red. So it's it's not anything worth seeing. And the fun factor, it's a, it's a one out of five. It, it has a couple of fun moments. The boombox scene is really fun. Uh, there's a couple of little things here, little jokes that they do in the middle of it. Uh, as much as that one scene, the 80-yard scene, is really horribly 80-yard, it's still kind of funny, the reactions that kind of go on his face. Uncle Fucker, uh, his face. and uh, you know, But the characters are just generic and lame and they try to set up stuff that doesn't really work and they have a heartfelt moment right before they kill the dad and i understand that they're doing it what they're trying to do make you have more of an emotional connection to the characters but it doesn't work and it's just kind of shitty because a lot of these guys like i said before they're just kind of introduced and then killed off some of them stay around for longer than you think that they're going to uh aka boxer guy i thought when he was thrown off the ship i thought really they were trying to kill him there but he survives to almost the end of the movie and i don't quite understand that overall i'm going to give this uh two out of five melting jasons uh it could be like i said a much better film 
Um, but it, it was kind of going down the route of what our PG-13 movies or horror movies are kind of going for nowadays. Now for our next film, I, I'm just going to let the trailer speak for itself. In the year 2455, on a routine training mission, a team of students is about to discover a life form frozen in time. Wow. They're on their way back. Prepare for docking and power of the lab. You brought them on board? Everything's under control, man. Unstoppable killing machine. Ah! It's okay, he just wanted his machete back. How do we get off the ship? I don't know. Look, we're gonna be all right. What are you high? Uh-oh. He's here. You have got to get them out of there. I think we're finally okay. Next time, we are going to be going through Jason X. Now, I thought originally I was going to avoid this one because a lot of people have talked about this one before. But honestly, I wanted to do something fun after watching this one. Uh, And that movie is definitely dumb and fun. So we'll enjoy ourselves next time with Jason X. As always, you can rate and review the podcast on iTunes Uh, Google Play, Blueberry, Spreaker, uh, or on Stitcher. Uh, Please, uh, if you can and you like listening to the podcast, give us a rating because it does help us get seen. Um, You can also follow the podcast on Twitter. It's T underscore T underscore podcast. You can check out the Facebook page, facebook.com slash Terrible Terror Podcast, where there are some video clips, especially from this film, as well as previous films, uh, and I may do another Facebook Live event, and this time I might actually do it uh, soon. Um, I'm not sure when it'll be done, but check out the Facebook page and check out the Twitter, uh, and I will be announcing what film and when, uh, and we can have a live viewing together um, before the podcast actually comes out. Uh, you can also email any suggestions you have over to terribleterrorpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, I am definitely looking for a couple more movies. Um, I think I have another one lined up after Jason. Uh, and I've got a couple that I'm going to do at later points in time. But I'm always looking for uh, new or old horror films that you think would be interesting for me to talk about. I'm also looking for international horror films. If you know of anything that... Uh, maybe is international and it'll turn into a video podcast versus these ones that are audio since it's hard to play 
you know, languages uh, that are foreign uh, <laughs> on audio and understand them, uh, please let me know. Well, thank you very much. Uh, don't forget to watch Jason X next week. I believe you can find it on Amazon, iTunes, and it might still be up on Netflix. All right. Take care.